Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. I don't know if you ever had this experience where after a while you gain a reputation of being like the movie guy or whatever. So for a period of time, anytime someone saw something like messed up or weird, they would just be like, Dan, you'd love this. Dan, did you see the Tesla jump? You'd love this. (laughs) They would just see like, I just saw Tetsuya the Iron Man. It's horrible. A guy gets turned into a robot. You'd love it. Or I watched this terrible movie where everyone gets murdered at the end horrifically. You'd love it. Hamlet. (laughs) Have you heard of this obscure underground film (laughs) called Hamlet? Only the second most written about fictional character next to Jesus, which I recognize is inflammatory. Uh, But as far as the world standards are, they would say Jesus was fictional. But yes. But the movie guy. Yeah. Weird movies. You get someone coming up and they're like, you ever seen this hardcore film from so-and-so? And you're like, Yeah. Yeah, or just like, no, why would I watch that? (laughs) Right. It's like if you watch anything, if you watch a movie that they didn't see a trailer, like an advertisement for in television, then you're... Then it's obscure and you're the one who knows about it. Yeah. So multiple people asked me if I had seen this movie. Oh, The House. Multiple people. Multiple people. They asked if I'd seen The House. People, my wife also has a pretty, um, I would say more refined taste than me. I'm just kind of like a movie guy. I'll watch anything with moving pictures. Yes. And my wife is a lot more selective about the things she watches, uh, but she's very artistically inclined. And so uh, several coworkers who went to art school and are really specifically in animation and and drawing that sort of thing we're all asking her if she'd seen it so i had quite a bit of build-up because the house hit all of the things that i look for the first is i heard nothing about it until i saw the netflix preview for it which was really bizarre uh the second is it just looks neat i'm a big fan of stop motion animation i like the fact it looks kind of off i think that really adds especially in this case where it really adds to the story and mood they're going for and the fact that all the right people were just like, yo, I saw this really weird movie. You should check it out and see it. And so with a lot of hype, I watched the house. I watched two thirds of the house, which you can do because it's an anthology film. And I was pleasantly surprised by it, but also actually kind of weirded out. And so I didn't revisit it for a long time to finish it until you told me that the Patreon poll was probably going to pick this movie. It did live up to the hype of being a very odd, very disturbing film, but not in the way I expected. What did you expect? Um, I don't know. It's I think for the average person, I mean, what disturbs him is very relative. So for some people, just people dying is disturbing or um, anything that uses like a nonlinear like like sequence of events an anthology throw them, throw them off or <laughs> the, anthology if it's got chapters <laughs> a movie with chapters in it <laughs> i think i think a lot of people really honed in on the kind of um unsettling animation style and that's kind of by design a lot of characters like the human characters have like really tiny beady eyes and their skin's always kind of moving and just like the tone of everything is kind of surreal like everything feels like it's kind you're kind of have walked into someone else's kind of dream 
And it also uses like a very fairy tale kind of logic where especially like for the last uh, sequence, like the running thing of what's happening is so unrealistic, but everyone talks about it. Like it's totally normal and just a given and not to get into the spoilers or anything yet, but it's just a very like uncomfortable thing to sit through. And I think that's what most people are honing in on because they weren't able to really articulate what they found so disturbing about it. Because uh, there's just a handful of specific events that on their face are uncomfortable or disturbing or uh, push the house into almost like a horror film territory. But like the general feeling you get watching it, I think is just uncomfortable. And especially for something that is fraud is animated. I think that really put people off kilter, but our Patreon supporters really wanted us to, to review this. But to answer your initial your initial question, have I had that experience? Yes, I've had I've had people. Yeah, I could say I could say it this way: treat me different because I'm the movie guy. Um, like even talking about Adam Project, I've had someone who was like, "You're probably not going to watch that." And I said, "Why? Why do you say that?" And then I actually got defensive. I just said it again: "Why do you say that? <laughs> Why do you think I wouldn't watch it?" And they were like, because that's not your kind of movie. I was like, what's my kind of movie? Like, <laughs> about your, we're out here talking about the house. And then we talked about Free Guy. And then, like, a couple months earlier, we talked about an earnest movie on the podcast, our second earnest movie on the podcast. Um, and so, like, uh, yeah, I, it is interesting. It's uh, how there's, when you have a particular thing you're into, specifically something artistic uh, in terms of expression, there's different ways people talk to you about it. Um, I did not have people talk to me about the house. I think I just sort of found out about it because I saw it was being watched on Letterboxd. It was a January release that no one was really disappointed in. People actually liked it, and it was a January January release. Um, case in point, Redeeming Love also came out in January, just in the nick of time, January 24th or something, and people did not like that one. And so, well, Scream was a January release, but I'm pretty sure that was supposed to come out during the ho- uh, the holidays, <laughs> during Halloween at some point. But but yeah, it, it is interesting, like your experience saying how it's like just sort of passively disturbing. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted. I thought this was like a hobby thing. You He's want me to expand cinematic doctrine? You know right, this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, cinematic doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as three dollars a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention you get to tell us what to do? 
That's right. Each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run. So, I'll see you guys later. Uh, so for that, for those who have not seen The House or those who have and just want to recap because it's been a couple months, um, The House is almost entirely set within this house just over the course of three long spanning or there's just big gap time between each anthology period. Um, a nice little notice that some people have observed is that the film starts with an anthology of humans uh, and then the second act is a world overrun by rats. And then the third anthology story is a world where cats have eradicated rats and now cats are taking over. A little cute sort of setting-based story you can see over overhead. But the uh, the titular house, we see its inception as this family is living out in the in the wilderness. It's sort of a colonial lifestyle. Their family comes to visit and sort of just judges them the whole time. And so the dad is embarrassed. Uh, and then he meets a man out in the middle of the road when he's sad who then offers to build him a house, but they have to live in it. And that's our first story. Our second story. Well, you know what? Let's just, let's just go one by one. The first story, as it sort of develops, they move into this house and it's still being built. But then the next day, the house is changed. And this butler says, uh, the guy building the house, he's actually made some alterations and changes. It's nothing to worry about. And so there's still areas being built or new areas being built or complete areas being redone. So like an example, the staircase that they use to go from the first floor to the second has been completely removed and things like that. Meanwhile, the workers there kind of stare at our characters and uh, things go on. So yeah, the first story, this first, in th- did they have titles? I feel like they had titles. This is something I wanted yes, to capture. The but first I did not. title is In Heard Within Elias Spun. In Heard Within Elias Spun. And Heard Within Elias Spun. And Heard Within Elias Spun. Hey, that kind of goes with the sewing too. But uh, how did you enjoy or not enjoy? How did, how was your uncomfortability for this first uh, first of three anthology stories? I really like this. I really liked the, I mean, I liked to not to get too far ahead, but I liked I really liked the house overall. Yes, me too. I think my ranking is two one three in terms of enjoyment. So apparently, this first one is kind of a lot of people's favorite of the set uh, because it has probably the most conventional story structure, but also just is the most straightforward as a disturbing um, horror esque Grimm's fairy tale. Uh, because it has a clear progression of just this descent into madness. It also has the most like relatable premise and setting where you have a lower income family and specifically a father who feels so um, so much like a loser. And he just wants more and he wants to prove himself. And so he accepts this uh, Faust, not a Faustian deal, but this like really bad uh, deal with this like very strange uh, character who is just always giggling menacingly. So I don't know why you'd ever make a deal with that guy, but uh, the the fact that they agree to go to this strange location and pretty much immediately there's something off about this house and it just progressively becomes more and more unwieldy and scary. It just becomes more like the house and house of leaves as time goes on. Yes. Yeah. And I think the basic premise of being in a house that's constantly changing and you can't get out of it is just on its face, pretty scary and when you add the element that the daughter and the baby, uh, well, the baby's a baby, but the daughter understands something horrible is happening, understands that her parents are slowly being 
taken in by this house is scary also just because it's a little girl that can't do anything to rescue her parents. And when you match that with like the really wonderful stop motion animation and it's constantly great and it really works the type of story they're telling because it adds to this otherworldliness of what you're watching and just watching the parents slowly devolve into what they eventually become is really just engaging and unnerving in a way that a lot of things aren't and i can see why some people think that this is the one where the premise of the whole thing really lanes with them more um i did a little brief reading about the people who made this and there are, there are behind the scenes there's not a lot of names that you recognize unless you're really into really just the like, actors european theater or something which is typical which is typical for netflix to like if there's something animated they get like pretty much anyone working on the project is no names and then the voice actors they pull in are like big names that people already know. Like yeah, there's that a lot Dark of Crystal, um, but like, really like yeah. well-known British television actors and stuff doing the voices. Hello, yeah. Bottom Carter is randomly in the third one of these. Yes, but yes. Uh, like the person who's the main writer on the whole project is an uh, English playwright, I believe. And so there's definitely that element to it where uh, it does feel like a play. The whole thing, yeah. But the people taught like the this first one was seen as they wanted to give kind of almost like an origin story to the titular house that the anthology is about, and the fact that it's this building built on broken dreams and empty promises, and destroyed people's lives. You simply wanted something more. Uh, is very fitting for the the setting of the following stories, which are all kind of heartbreaking in their own right. And this whole thing really just sets the tone of this is just a miserable place and everyone who tries to make a life here will be destroyed. Um, the basic story is, yeah, they move into this big house because this rich person offers it. He pay for everything, cover everything. The only stipulation is they have to live there. And the mother loves sewing and the father is sort of obsessed with the fireplace. When you see them in the original house, he just looks at the fire longingly. And here there's just a beautiful fireplace that he can't look away from. And there's lots of little details that add to it. For example, like the original house just gets added to the basement of this house for some reason. And then later when they did kindling for the fire, he's just burning things from the old house. Uh, but as time goes on, the mother progressively transforms to look like a chair in drapes and the father becomes the mm-hmm. old chair that he used to sit in. And it's a really unnerving thing. And as the fire that they were stoking slowly becomes bigger and bigger, it begins to consume the house. And in the last final act, the mother uses herself as trapes to let her daughter escape out a window as the girl walks away and watches the house burn down. And all along while there's always little great little horror details. Like the people working on the house are almost zombie like. Like you whenever you try and talk to them, they just stare, stare at, at them yeah. until you leave. The man who works as like the spokesman for the for the owner of the that house great. is found later just crying in a room because he can't find his way out. And he's like, I'm just an actor. I don't know. He keeps changing the house. I don't understand. Because yeah. he's also just a victim. He gives me lines. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's not a lot of like detailed details in this sense of like the actual plot, but like the, the secret, like the, just watching everything unfold is so hypnotic. Like the whole, like the whole project, all three um, stories have this very surreal quality to them that just kind of lulls you into this like trance where you're just you don't know where anything's going. Like you just don't understand kind of what you're watching in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but like you just are gripped by it. So this, this opening one does a great job of setting the tone. It really lets you know what you're in for. It just creates this like wonderful premise, which is this one house is so gosh darn creepy. And each, each of the three stories in this anthology were 
mostly written and directed by different people. There's that one like uniform writer who's credited as a writer on all three, but each story was handled by the different team that handled each section. So even though there's a running theme of this one location as this like just place where all these horrible things happen, uh, the angle and the type of story told in each one is very unique. And it really helps the whole anthology feel like a complete set, if that makes sense. But like, what, so what's the second one? Well, I've, I was thinking since this is more of a surrealist art project, we could just talk about how each one made us feel. <laughs> like the classic interview question, how does that make you feel? So with this first one, how did it make you feel? And like, what did it make you think of this uh, ever-changing house and parents being like warped into the fabric of the home? How did you feel about it? Uh, <laughs> I sure felt bad for the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't, I tend not to engage with things, um, on a, on an emotional level. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very walled off as a person. Uh, yes. I never hugged my dad. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I just, I really enjoy it. Like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Like I just, when I see something that genuinely is getting in or like any sort of like, Ooh, that's kind of creepy out of me. That just makes me excited. Like, I'm like, oh, this is something unique. This is something different. I just, I like things that are unique and different. And like I said, around me of House of Leaves, there's a specific thing that I was thinking of the entire time watching this. And it's going to be in my recommendation at the end. And I found out that it actually was cited as a, as an insp- as a um, influence on the whole thing. So I'll talk about that later, but it really made me think of that. And I just love, I love creepy locations. Like if you notice, if you look at any of my recommendations for things that are horror kind of based, you'll notice that I love setting. So I like I recommend Archive 81. We reviewed the movie A Ghost Story, which kind of reminds me of this, except that that's more of like a melancholy kind of way where you look at how one house and location is just haunted in a way. Like every place is kind of haunted by what came before it and the people that were there and sort of the baked in hopes and dreams and heartbreaks. And the house just really nails that in a way that like, you can only do in a story this kind of weird and <laughs> unhinged mm-hmm. where the very foundation of this house is a family that just wanted more and were literally consumed by the house itself. And I just thought that was really interesting. And it made me excited to see what, hap- what happened next. Cause I saw the trailer and I saw like, well, there's rats and mice and, and, and cats. So how are they going to tell an anthology with different creatures? And you kind of honed in on the idea like, okay, well, this is just kind of like, Almost like a per- this might be thousands of years back because this is a world where mice have taken over and the cast take over, which I guess you could like that's totally a fair interpretation. It's just an observation I saw online. It's interesting. I'm less less concerned with it being factual to the narrative because I I think I think the pro- I think art is most interesting when it's not factual when it's more interpretive. And so, like, I, who knows? Uh, I think trying to read much further into it would would make it lose part of its mysticism <laughs> yeah i think trying to find like a clear logical progression right. we just just said that the woman turns into drapes like there's there's a yes. level of unreality <laughs> um but i was like man what's what's gonna happen like what what's gonna happen next like right. i was just so um drawn into what would happen next so right and it, it never falls out of its own logic though which is why it works yes it's internally consistent in all places that matter so right because i think sometimes people are like uh can find it difficult to interpret what's going on because it's so strange but if you can keep up with your own narrative logic then it actually becomes quite easy to to be both understood and believed with the first one i i think i stepped away with it kind of capturing this like 
Yeah, this this idea of like the, the hopes and goals sort of crushing or almost like there's kind of the, like it's it's almost like a very uh, a, a 20 minute version of it's the journey, not the destination kind of thing where like they've the dad finally reaches what he's his goal was in a way, um, which was, I guess, wealth, um, not wealth inherently, but just like something to be pride, proud, proud about. Because the setting for the for that particular story is that his family comes to visit, judges them like crazy. Even judges like doesn't he judge? Don't they judge like their baby? <laughs> like they just like judge yes, everything do, about yeah. them. It's like the worst family visit in the world. And then so he feels like horrible about this, um, and he's staring into this fire, just sort of contemplating like just how terrible everything is. And then they finally get to this place and it's actually worse. They get to the house and like, it's not this external thing that's like devaluing them. It's this internal thing as they sort of just give into their lavish, their new lifestyle. I can't necessarily say lavish because it's not like they're going around and partying and going crazy. Like they, the, the most setting we get with them in this house is the daughter exploring the back rooms. They eat at the dinner table one time and then they're in the workroom, basically, where the mom is sewing and her face is against the ground while she's just pushing the, the drapes forward and forward. And then the dad is just, yeah, like you said, transfixed into the, the fire. I think, well, actually, with all of them, I didn't particularly have much in terms of emotional experience until a little later when I just kept thinking about it, um, especially the second one. But I think um, it's just an interesting exploration of this like one-track thinking and how it sort of is destructive to like your lifestyle, the things you love, the things you care about are things externally. Cause like you said, he starts, he wants to keep the fire burning. So he keeps tossing things in from the old home, including uh, his daughter's dollhouse, which is really the only character trait um, we get, which is that she really cares about the dollhouse. I think it was a gift to her from her parents, um, but it's yeah, still significant. I really thought there'd be a twist that they were dolls or something because they kept drawing attention to it. And well, they way, essentially they are, are, they are dolls yeah. for this weird rich guy. Cause he's making, he makes them use all the stuff he bought. He doesn't want to bring anything from their old home. And right. That and sort of that thing. fits the setting because they essentially look like dolls. Um, more so, it, yeah. more so than other stop motion where they try yeah. to make them look like more human in this, they literally just look like dolls. And so yeah. in a way, maybe they're supposed to be this sort of meditation on like, god and man that they're trying to run with in their in their art house uh stop motion animation well plus like the house they live in is so sparsely populated in terms it's of like, like a dollhouse yeah. yeah it's like a dollhouse and so him tossing the dollhouse in the fire is maybe more of a mercy than this man who's rebuilding the like, home i thought their house would immediately catch fire at that moment like yeah, there them. was some some of that. Like this was more like hereditary than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't get rid of it, or else you catch fire. That kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's good, but uh, this one didn't draw out as many emotions. But I think it, I think for me, it just was more interesting because uh, I I also it hit a lot of tropes I liked. I like that they're transforming into objects. I like that this house is changing. Um, I like that everybody involved isn't really willing in the involvement. Like the fact that even the butler is like just this actor and like, he's just off from the beginning. All of it was great. Uh, I can see why people might not like that because they're expecting, like, I think some people, I think even in Christian circles, there's this fear of feeling 
what are considered bad emotions. So like being uncomfortable is like, why would I want that? I've actually had conversations with someone who literally like, he doesn't like antagonistic characters that have any sense of like, he, he feels uncomfortable being compassionate to someone who's antagonistic because isn't that glorifying some form of evil, which I think is, I think that breaks down when you think of the fact that like, we want to be friend and love those who are our enemies so that they can come to join, you know, Christ. But, uh, and so doing that in a film setting can be an exercise in learning how to do that. Uh, but I digress. I, I think something like this, where just the entire first story is so unsettling. And then of course the second one, I think becomes more so just at the end. And yet it didn't really draw out that much in terms of like how I meditated on it, but yeah, it's good. I like the first one. You could just watch this in isolation and it works completely fine. I think the second one is the most like just weird. Ethereal. Of the two. Yeah, weird and difficult to work through. Yeah. It's just odd. And I it would this part of what I liked about it so much. And then the third one. Um well we'll get to the third one when we get to the third one. Uh second one, so one thing that's interesting about the following two shorts is that and I like I like how understated a lot of stuff in the, I mean we just described people being transformative furniture, but for the most part, like a lot of things are understated. So they never draw that much attention to the fact that this is supposed to be the same house. Uh it is inexplicably in what seems like a city location. All of everyone's an anthropomorphic like human rat for some reason. And you you're there is this guy played by I think his name's Joe Cocker. He's like a musician. He's doing the voice. And he's a guy who's like redeveloping the house. He's redesigning it. He's putting in new furniture because he wants to sell the house. He's talking to a friend over the phone. And the, both this and the next short, there's a there's a lot of attention given, though, to the fact that both of their main characters will repeatedly mention how there's a lot of history in the house. We believe in the house. There's so much potential in the house. If they could just make everything work, if everything could just like get fixed, everything would turn around in their life. And But however... Because this house is, everyone interpret it, it just doesn't cooperate. And so you see him constantly trying to fix everything. In this case, there's constantly bugs in the house. Everybody, what he does, uh, there's always like a, some sort of infestation. Is he trying to get the, the house ready because he's having a, a showing for it? Or people will tour it and make offers for the house. And everything keeps going wrong. And like he tries to order food from a food delivery service. And they give him all the wrong food. Uh, the repairs aren't working. He's trying to get various like fancy things in the house to work and they just won't work. And the whole time he's calling up what you assume is his like spouse or whatever, because he's calling them baby and honey and all that sort of thing. And then finally uh, the day comes where there's a big showing and this things are going wrong. Someone puts like food in the fish tank. It's the whole disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And however, the only people who sort of stay and are interested in the house are what are very clearly two giant bugs. And they're just like, this house is great. We love this house. He's like, oh, wonderful. Do you want to make an offer on it? And I'm like, so sad you said very clearly because I did not think that it wasn't necessarily a twist. I just didn't think I was like, they were just weird looking rats. <laughs> oh, those they were bugs. Uh. <laughs> like the men, they were like, those are bugs. <laughs> That's and so I, I thought they'd do the oogie boogie thing where they just explode into bugs or something. But no. I love what we got, though. It's so much better. It's so. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And so they just stick around. He's just like because he's such a passive person, but he so yes. desperately wants to sell the house, too. 
that they're just like we are extremely interested in <laughs> yeah, this house interested, yes but they keep I asking to get more food yeah. and they wait in foot and and does that it, like like i said there's some stuff that's understated so as he's walking around the house you notice it's the same hallway same stairs that that girl and her parents are in and that sort of thing um at certain points revealed that he's just been calling his only friend who's his dentist <laughs> and first the person he's been talking to that you think is like his spouse or wife is just his dentist and cops come and tell him to stop calling and it's just like things keep getting worse and then the bugs invite friends over and then he ends up in the hospital and just in this horribly tragic final moments like the the bugs come to visit him in the hospital which is nice um but they but like time to come home and he goes home and his house is just filled once again, filled with bugs. However, it's the They're big bugs now, bugs. the rat-sized bugs. And in the final moments, you see that he's just reverted back to being just a rat. He specifically burrows in and destroys a special rotisserie chicken machine that he was really <laughs> fond of earlier. And throughout this whole sequ- like this whole short, there's all these interesting surreal sequences. There's like a whole dance number with bugs that he witnesses. Yeah, That's I really love neat. dance numbers. It's better than the dance number of bugs and cats. <laughs> I mean, you could have said anything is better than blanket cats. But I've been like, yeah, <laughs> agreed. It's uh, this is the most like for me. This was just the most bluntly tragic of the stories because yes. there's just nothing hopeful about it. Yes, um, there isn't even a little girl that gets away. It's just this poor guy. He has nobody and nothing, so he just it's just a bug now because the bugs are like people that are nice to him. And the bugs are just destroying the house he put so much effort into. Once again, the house has claimed another victim of somebody who just wanted something more and hopeful. And the house is is taking it from them. This one kind of, I think, there's a weird level where numbers two and three of the shorts, I think, go more hand in hand than the the first short does than anything else. Because there's this recurring theme of just sinking your hopes and dreams into something that maybe it's time to let go. And here we see that come into the most horrible way rather than leave or anything. He just becomes one with the grime and the disgustingness of the house where the bugs he's trying to squash have infested so deeply. He just becomes one of them. And it's so sad because, because you, I will say this, like one thing that the, that all three of you do wonderfully well is you really sympathize with the characters yes. where their problems are so mundane and relatable where gosh darn it, they just want their family to respect them. Gosh darn it, they just want this house. They just want to put the floorboards in. They want to paint. They just want, they just want, you know, they've sunk all their money into this. They've sunk all their future into this. If if things would just work out once, right, everything would turn around. And here it just doesn't, which you don't see a lot in movies and stories and, and TV shows. I feel like there's more of a desire to give the audience a release, but no, things don't work out in the worst possible way here. So um, I, I really enjoyed this one. This is the one that probably left like the most of an impression on me just in terms of thinking about the characters afterwards and ruminating on kind of like what took place. But you seem to really like this one. So, well, I'm not done with you. How to make you feel? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like in terms <laughs> like, of, in terms of crushed hopes becoming, becoming the filth that you're in. Like how did seven? I sure felt bad for that rat. You know, he's, he took all that effort to put people clothes on and, and make some phone calls and, and uh, 
put in a fish tank and remote control music that just wigs out at one point and causes like giant whirring sounds. Yeah, that's right. I thought it was interesting that like all the rats were just so unimpressed with the house. (laughs) They're just like, "Mm." yeah, they're (laughs) just sort of polite the whole time. And he tries so hard to be because he's like, oh, like I got all this marble in from this other place. And he's like, he's giving the whole tour over and over again. No one's listening. It was just so sad. (laughs) He rehearsed his speech so many times and no one listened to him. And that made me sad, I suppose. <laughs> it's, 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 it's weird because like there's the characters are so unhuman as you're watching them that it helped me detach a little bit from it. Cause it's like, even the humans don't look human in this movie. Yes. So I was just like, uh, <laughs> so, uh, the movie's already scary. Just looking at the characters. Yeah. 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 And, um, but I definitely was like, there is something so just completely, just like so it's it's like it so completely destroys hope when you see someone not just like this this guy didn't just lose out on selling a house he just completely lost himself where he's just scurrying around and chittering like a rat at the end of it and like that level of just like de-evolution is so uh complete in how it like a bunch of this person is destroyed in front of you that's just very uncomfortable to watch watching someone revert to being a rat you know sure I don't know how it made me feel like I just I don't <laughs> I don't feel no I like I don't like I reserve all feelings till the movie's over and whatever my end feeling well, is sure. at the end which in the case of the anthology like most of my feelings came out watching the third part so like one and two I'm just like all right let's see where this is going right how does so, this climax how does this so I don't, I don't, I don't have together. a moment to moment breakdown for you unfortunately that's fine i mean most of the time i'm thinking like in terms of processing afterward like after the fact like um because this one the yeah the second one is the one that i think will leave the most impression on people i think the first one is what people would say is the one that they like the most well, but the i hook. think right but i think the second one is the one that most people will sit on uh and be reminded of i think it has the most stark visuals i i think it has some of the better yeah, it just has some of the better visual direction, in my opinion. It plays with lighting the most. It plays with audio the most. It has a dance number, which I think people sometimes... I think dance numbers embarrass people in movies, especially when they don't expect it, which I think is cute. Uh, for me, I, I love it every time. So all that stuff I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of. But yeah, I when this one Kat and I talked about a lot too. For like two or three weeks, I would just... like. When I wake up in the morning, I just drink coffee and I don't talk for like 30 minutes, but that I would just go, we are extremely interested in this house. So that's like the only thing I'd say. And Kat's like, mm, and then takes another sip of her coffee. <laughs> it's just like, and then the other one just goes, oh yes. Extremely. Yeah, it's great. I like, I, I love characters that have like taglines and quotes. I wish more, more stories. I wish more fiction did that. I think. I think George R. R. Martin does that with his fiction. Uh, I've heard he does that with his characters. I know that's like a classic. Um, oh man, he wrote Christmas Carol. What's his name? I know Charles he does Dickens? that. Yeah, Charles Dickens apparently does that a lot with his characters, um, where he has them repeat lines over and over, and it's just a nice thing, a, a re- recurrent motif. But Catherine was sharing how she's like, it's this rat living in the basement trying to sell this beautiful home. That I think you learn, I think there's a line of dialogue where it's implied that it's all cheap stuff. And then, so then when he's trying to sell it, he's just lying the whole time. And it's this, so, but he's selling it to other rats who are also dressed up and dolled up um, and too good for this world and things like that. 
and uh, he's trying to kick out all these bugs and stuff. And it's like, but they're all vermin. They're all rats. They're all like, he's cleaning things, but everything he touches. And I don't think it's just a choice to be like, ah, we're just going to do rats this time. I think in terms of this, the fact that everything's supposed to be so clean, but then the narrative choice was to make them all rats. Like everything they touch is now disgusting. Um, even before this kid drops an ice cream cone in the fish tank and <laughs> stuff like that, all of it's tainted and ruined. And so to have the rats be like, let's just go home. I'm sorry, the the bug rats to be like, let's go home. And then they all just become bugs again. Um, Kat was like, it's just the filth becoming filth again. Like it's stop posturing, stop acting it's just be what you were made to be you're already living in the basement anyway what's the difference just live in the wall and stuff like that which yeah is very nihilistic very hopeless very tragic very sad very gross and i think like yeah i think the first one would be the most relatable and most understood by most audiences but the second one will be the most intense and almost like the hardest one to talk about because I think when you step away with it, you can't not feel some sense of uh, like, like needing to take a shower and almost well, yeah, like it's just viscerally very gross. Yeah. The, the other two aren't without necessarily being grotesque. Like there's not like poop stains on the wall and garbage everywhere, which I think, well, actually there's garbage all over in the backyard, but like, it's not gross in that way. I think it's more emotionally and, and, and like, vision like i don't know how to describe the grossness it's just yeah you want to shower after it i'm not i'm not the kind of person who likes to pioneer and go around talking about like the the christian idea of like we're all obviously we're all sinners but in the sense that like worthlessness or like terrible like i i saw a guy wearing uh, a shirt that basically said man is nothing and like i just think that's silly i think it's both silly and dangerous because they don't I don't know if it makes sense to call what God says is very good as opposed to just good. When he's making creation, he calls man and woman very good. Nothing or trash. I, I recognize that in Romans, it talks about man becoming worthless because of giving itself to sinful passions and stuff like that. Um, but I think it can be both at the same time <laughs> where there's this inherent value in your image-bearing nature. and if you choose to do terrible things, there's a worthlessness to you, to it in that present moment. But despite the fact that I have a much more, I think, glass half full perspective on the inerrant qualities of man, I also see truth in the fact that there is this like nastiness to man rejecting God and being horrible and disgusting. And, and like, I think this second one, the second one exploring like having this hope for just making the house perfect. If I can just sell it, if I can just get out and even his delusions in having this romance with this dentist, which maybe he did date this dentist <laughs> and then it fell through and now he just is being too much. Um, but, uh, but I like your interpretation better. That it's just, it's just his dentist and his dentist <laughs> is just like, why are you calling the only me? Friend he is. I think reflecting on that and just being this like, all this trash. There's nothing. Nothing is good. Even the house isn't good. Like it can't give you this hope. Uh, I I like exploring that feeling and emotion inside me. And so having the second story do that, I think, is why I like it the most. Even if even listeners of the podcast know that my my general feelings and perspective on things like humans and 
I don't know, goodness is more positive than what the second one explores. Yeah. What do you think? I think I said a lot, so I wanted to <laughs> hear what you had to well, say before we move on to three. Yeah, I but. didn't. I I think for me, like I wasn't just looking at it just in the perspective, of, like the rats and the 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 rats and the bugs are both gross. They're both vermin. In, in, like yeah, they're both an infestation. Correct. In this house and um, so it's like it's silly that they're that he's he's this rat kicking out bugs, right? It's, it's like, silly. It's, it's silly in existential sense. Yeah. He's a rat trying to get rid of bugs. Who does he think he is? Uh, Right. (laughs) I saw it like is more, I'm not saying like that's, that totally makes sense. But also if like for me, my whole sense the whole time watching it is just like, none of you belong here. Like you're all, you're all trying to fit in, in a place that you don't. And so like it, to me, it seemed more like just trying to pretend that this will work out when it like is doomed from the start. Because no matter what the rat does, he's still going to not belong at that house, and so it seemed yes. like almost like just a, a like it, it was an exercise of futility in terms of trying to find a place for himself in this house that would always reject him. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there's also just something interesting in the contrast between how extravagant the house looks in the first short and how like run down it is in the second. I yeah. guess we, you know, there's something kind of interesting about that. I don't know if it's just because the rat's been living there, but. There's something kind of interesting about that to me. Yeah. Like it just, it just, it felt so doomed. Like the second I, the short opens and it's like a rat trying to fix the house up. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, yes, it's a silly, it's a silly reaction. It's like, comical. Oh, that's it's, not going to work. Perspective. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's funny that it's the most tragic, but it's also probably the funniest because it's, isn't that silly? A rat trying to, make this how how's beautiful it's comedy it's genius like, uh, yeah it's got the comedy there for it it's yeah funny. it had the most like comedy set pieces in general just like yeah, him talking to the, the people he wants to sell to and like they're just not interested that's funny yeah. um but it's like funny in a sad way tragic tragic comedy tragic yes yeah ex- absolutely so that that all works for me i like it uh and i like it probably because it's because this is an anthology, it never overstays its welcome. Yes, yeah. Everything that needs to be said or done works. And so it it all feels worthwhile and earned as opposed to some other things that are too long and not earned. Um, redeeming love, which we just did. So, um, But yeah, third one. How, how How's the third one go? Redeeming love, way more disturbing than this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, way more disturbing <laughs> and strange. Yeah. So yeah, third the third short is we've moved on from humans to rats to cats, as is as is how things go, I suppose. And the house is in tough shape, man. It's uh, it's really run down and broken. There's been some sort of flooding, which has caused people to leave. So this woman who uh, fixes up the house is running low in tenants. Her only tenants that she has is a guy who pays her in fish he catches outside, and a hippie woman who pays her in good vibes, I suppose. And uh, she's just she really thinks that she can just fix up the house. She'll get new tenants completely oblivious to the fact that there's this coming uh, flooding that has just been seeping in and in and throughout the, the course of the short. And it's the, the whole flood. world. As far as we know, it's, it's everything they the can see. World. Yeah, right. A- everyone has run off. Everyone has left. But she's under this delusion. They could just f- fix up the house. She'll get some new tenants in here and she'll be able to 
get new supplies. Now, and the complicating incident is I need to collect rent from my tenants. I yes. love it. <laughs> and there's obvious logic problems here. Where is she buying these supplies? Why does she need money? <laughs> if, if, if there's no places around for miles and miles, that's not, that's not what's important. And so she just, she's, she, her two tenants and eventually her, their, her tenants friend, who's like a Mongolian throat singer who lives in a tent outside are trying to named help her. Cosmos. Named if Cosmos. Named Cosmos. That's they, not on the nose. Yeah. Her, her, te- her te- tenant, who's this kooky lady has been talking to him on the quote, the astral plane is, is what she says. So Cosmos shows up. And then there's all these like lovely conversations where they're trying to convince her that it's time to move on, that they need to move on. And she just, well, these worthless tenants. But then when the first one leaves on a little raft, she's deeply hurt. Um, and there's this nice moment where he le- leaves her a note. Uh, she thinks she hasn't said goodbye, but he has, and he leaves her drawings she drew of him. And like, it's not much in terms of actual plot. There's all, there, there's the typical scenes you saw kind of in the second one where you see her trying to fix things up. But that's kind of secondary because uh, yeah she can't the pace she gets doesn't work the her the floorboards are getting ripped up and in fact cosmos rips them up to make boats and there's this gentle kind of nest to this one that isn't in the other ones or everyone in everyone in this short is nice <laughs> the other ones are very ugly in yes. how the characters treat one another and in their perspective but this one it's time to leave the house man it's time to get out of here and so um, I'm just going to get to it. Like by the slowly, the all the tenants, the two tenants and Cosmos leave, but they've left behind her this like rig thing. As she pulls it, it'll it'll mo- displace the house's foundation, and she'll be able to drift off somewhere else into the future. And uh, finally, after everyone's left, she finds it within herself to do it. And the final moments, the tenants are back. They're just cheering her on. She pulls the lever. And she and the house drift off into an unknown future. But unlike the other two shorts, this one is a lot more hopeful. Um, it's time to leave the house. It's time to stop sinking your last remaining good years and resources and hopes and dreams into this house that just never was kind to anyone. Um, there's this, It continues the interesting tradition, too, of the shorts where she mentions that she's always kind of dreamed about the house because like her yes. parents had the house or something mm-hmm. that used to be so lovely, but that those days have long passed. And so um, thematically to me, it kind of really closes up everything very nicely where we saw the house it had, it had this beginning where it promised so much and just took, and then we saw the house um, just not work out for somebody and steal their hopes and dreams. And finally there's somebody who rather than let the house consume them, and because you can see the bad ending of this, right? Where the house just sinks into the ground and floods and she drowns, still trying to put wallpaper up or whatever. But instead of doing that, she chooses instead to just leave, you know? It's um, it's really nice. It's of the three. It, it, it leaves everything on a nice note. It's a nice reward for sticking through like an hour and a half of just misery. misery. And you finally get the sense that there's maybe some good out there. There's maybe something else out there. You just have to sometimes get out of the house, you know? Um, and it, it's nice because it also, it, everything is so open-ended for interpretation as you've been listening mm-hmm. where like the house can be a lot of things. It can be, you know, a bad past, a bad home situation you grew up in. It can be the baggage of what you, where you've come from. It could be like just the whole, you know, house built upon sand where it's, it's a poor foundation to build a life on. Um, it could be a thing that you're scared to leave because the, the outside world in your future is so uncertain that you'd rather stick with what's familiar 
if cruel and harmful to you rather than to move on to something else. Uh, but it really, it really ties a nice bow on the whole anthology and it's definitely a lot more optimistic than the other things. Yes. And so I, I, it, I enjoyed this and the whole production altogether. Uh, but you listed this as uh, your least favorite of them. Oh, I mean, I like all of them. It's just the one that I, I think I, I mean, I got it and I connected with yeah. it, but like, I think out of the three, it's the least, you know, I just said that they all are short and so they don't overstay their welcome, but this one felt a little long. I think like just the conversations between the characters was a little much. I didn't, I thought having the, the, the traveler come in and his name is Cosmos was like, just the, like we talked about things being understated and like, this is when it was like, no, <laughs> that's not understated at all. Um, that's like very clear that it's like, well, because so her one uh, tenant, the Helena Bottom Carter character, is like she's basically like a, a modern rich white woman where she just sort of has stones everywhere and incense and like is like my friend the cosmos is coming in. Talk to him and you can communicate with the astral <laughs> she, plane. She pays her with the same like oh this wonderful stone it does this thing. She's like give me fifteen of these already. Yeah, you know to pay for it. It's a uh, and 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 it's not that I don't like that kind of of a character. It's just that, like, as it's exploring its themes, it's way more obvious um, and clear. Uh, but I, but I appreciated still what it was going into and saying because, like, this the the owner of this home is so focused on her project, um, she doesn't recognize how important the people in her life are. And when her friend leaves uh, on the boat, she's like distraught and frustrated, but she doesn't really understand why because the things she's frustrated about are like, you took pieces of my house to build your boat to leave. And things like that. And then she sees these drawings and the gifts that were left. And I think she even distinctly says, like, I didn't know he could draw so well. Yes, so yeah. her focus on these and her own hopes and goals and dreams got in the way of her recognition of how important people were in her life and also made it impossible for her to actually learn about these people. Like she's constantly working and she's always frustrated that they're inside watching TV and not doing anything thinking that they're the ones who have the incorrect perspective on life and yet they're the ones who actually have a more rational understanding i mean if everything's flooded and everything's trying like falling apart but you still at least have electricity to watch some tv or something like <laughs> i think we'll watch some tv who's broadcasting these tv shows <laughs> i know it's great i love i love dream logic it's it's great yeah. i liked that and i think like that's true like you can get so focused on these things that aren't necessarily wrong like building the house getting in tenants i think if, if if there's already two tenants that live here, it's not irrational for her to be like hoping for other tenants to come. <laughs> so like, like you, my 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 reading of the situation was there the there are existing tenants and those are the only ones that are left. <laughs> there's no one else in existence. Well, I mean Cosmos visited. Well, um, so he yeah. existed. Um, but the idea being like, it's not necessarily wrong what she's doing. It's just it's getting in the way of what's going to be more helpful and more important in the long run, which is the relationship she has. And the fact that even they help her ultimately leave. And the way that they help her leave isn't that they help her leave the house, but they actually help her take what's important to her as well um, by converting the house into a giant boat, <laughs> which is pretty cool, um, which takes on, you know, metaphors and allegories of like, you know, you may leave where you're going, but that stuff still goes with you. Yes. yes um, yes. You may have all these hopes, dreams, and goals, and you may be so, so focused on staying there. But just because you've left doesn't mean those things are gone. 
Um, and I mean, even the, the fact that the friend leaves and is having to take parts of the house with them to go and she's upset about it. Like, that's what it feels like when people leave. Like there's yeah, a part of you very giving tree leaving. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a narrative trick for understanding characters when writing is that you have character A, character B, but when they interact, it's character C. And when they're not interacting, character C is not around. Um, and so that's how relationships are. When, when we are two people together, we create something new. And so when they leave, it's, it's part of you leaving as well. Yeah. I mean, it's hopeful. It's not, that's not bad. And I, I like that because it's all accurate. Like, I think I, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a couple of months ago at this point, we were at Bible study going over, uh, I don't know, one of the epistles, whatever, <laughs> um, <laughs> In this particular Bible study, we got into the discussion about like uh, fatigue, and one of the guys, an older guy, brought up, I think it was a uh, Barna statistic about pastors and how there was it was like nineteen, I think it was nineteen percent of pastors before this particular rec- recording said they were thinking about leaving the ministry, um, specifically their their position in the ministry, so pastorship to 28%. So a 9% increase in like the last year, which is drastic uh, in most cases, like between, I, I don't remember what they compared. Like, I think they compared it to the previous uh, recording and it was like maybe 1% up or down, but this was 9%. And obviously in terms of times of recording, maybe you're listening to this episode 10 years from now. So you don't know. Or maybe you do know, but uh, you had 2020 with coronavirus, you have the increased politicization of everything you have. I mean, even statistically, the most people who believe in uh, conspiracy theories almost always are correlated to white evangelicalism. Um, And so you have a lot of reasons for why people want to leave the faith or at least leave the mission of pastorship. And he was asking, like, what do you think it is that causes this fatigue and how do you think it can be stopped? My pastor, of course... I think wisely said, not of course, he, I think he wisely said, I'm not going to speak into this in the way you may want because I don't know everyone's situation. And I think that was a wise answer. And then of course he gave an answer that was much more general, not, not, not general, much more broad, more like talking about differences in, a, in position. But in my mind, I thought, uh, and I think someone said this, if our identity primarily is in Christ and Christ alone, then we have the malleability to change who we are. And I said I said to my wife on the ride home, there is a massive fear that maybe you're 40 years old, all you did is go to school for like public speaking, and then you went to seminary to be a pastor, and you've been pastoring for 20 years, and then you're finding out, I don't think I'm cut out for this. But now you're 40. You don't have a lot of money because you were a pastor, so you're not able to go back to school. You also don't have time because maybe you have kids, so you don't want to go back to school. And so you feel trapped. And so now it's like, well, I feel this tension and stress of wanting to leave, but I don't really know where to go. And a lot of that's more internal and there's external factors that lead into it. But if we line, if we really start to understand where we are in terms of identity, not as a pastor and then there, but as a child of God, loved by the Lord, living for eternity, there's a malleability to changing who we are on a in, in terms of vocation, that is very different. Now, is it going to be very hard to maybe change positions or perspectives uh, on your own job or lifestyle? Yeah, because of those factors I just explained in this theoretical pastor that 
probably does exist in <laughs> in some cases. Um, but it's possible to perhaps find a different lifestyle or or job and still honor the Lord. Because I think also in terms of pastorship, there's this idea of like, well, I am doing the peak, I am peak performance, uh, great commission because I'm preaching, I'm teaching and I'm baptizing. Uh, it, even though I'm saying that all of that's for all of us to do, it's uniquely different for pastors. And so observing it in that way, I was thinking, I think I even talked about the house when we were driving home because it was like, you can, you might be focusing so much on this, but you're, there's freedom to go out and explore new things. Now it might be like looking out your house and there's just a flood everywhere with fog. So you don't want to go explore and you have no idea what's out there, but there's a joy in knowing that the Lord will support you. Maybe it'll be difficult. I'm not going to say um, name it and claim it kind of idea of like, you could just do whatever you want and God will support it. I think God will put up barriers at certain areas, be, just like how he did with Paul, not letting him go to Asia. But I think it's possible to to change directions and course correct. And uh, even in drastic measures, I think the question being asked at the time during this Bible study was how do we get pastors to stop wanting to leave or not stop leaving? But I think it'd be more interesting to see, well, what's in store for the future? What's beyond this house that's been built to keep with the allegory that maybe the idea of pastorship in these people's lives is changing. Maybe the way that they preach and maybe the way that they maintain others is going to be different. Uh, Maybe they're learning that the way they did it was irrational constantly building this home, expecting new tenants to come doesn't really make sense if you have an entire flooded ocean around you and stuff like that. What do you think about that? Do you think um, just the idea of like course correction and change and knowing that like your identity may not be entirely the same as you grow and make decisions, but it doesn't necessarily leave you like in the house where this house becomes what moves and changes. Well, I think I think there's something. First off, I was going to say like uh, what I kind of love about this third short uh, is like her dream and goal is so blatantly unrealistic. Like there is si- simply no like you can kind of get behind the idea of I yes I'm going to fix up yeah. this house and sell it to other rats. Like this, there's no way there's not going to be any more tenants. Anyone with even correct a little bit of understanding knows even that. Cosmos doesn't live in the house. He just sets up a tent outside. Yeah, <laughs> the quote unquote like stupid like mystic guy believes a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Like he understands more than her, she does. Like what? Correct. Um, and there's something kind of like inherently tragic about that. And I think we've all either know somebody or have felt like we're in a situation where like we have this goal or dream, but it's over. It, it reminds me of. I was talking to a coworker once and I, he was like in his seventies and he's working at GameStop. And I was, was what? like, oh. he was why like, oh, is he, what? I'm just kind of here now. You know, I was like, well, man, like it's never too late to like do something. He's like, no, in my case it is. It's <laughs> just completely blunt. Like, nope, my life is over. That's like, cute. This though. Is, this is where I'm I ended both. Up. What? And also like, Hey, he's a gamer. <laughs> he wasn't though. Really? He, he just worked retail. He played a handful of like PC games that like nobody plays like I'm not saying he played WoW. He played like random games I've never heard of. Flight simulators. I maybe. <laughs> but like everyone I worked with had bought games from him when they were a kid. And now they just worked with him at GameStop. And um That is kinda awesome though. 
Yeah, but like he was so unhelpful. <laughs> like you'd be like, "What about this one?" He's like, "I've never played that. I've never even heard of that." He didn't even read the Game Informer. No, to know what's up. <laughs> he just nope. But yeah, like, but you were saying he had an understanding that well, my life's over. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, just like, but and for her, it's just this like total pipe dream that will never come true, and like yes. being able to listen and let go. No, like the dream is itself isn't bad. It's just not going to happen. Like right. to, to want to fix your parents' home and bring in new tenants and just to like recapture like something, the dream she's had her whole life. That's not wrong, but sometimes you just got to let go. Sometimes it's over. And right. like in her case, like just let it knowing that like the house isn't the, the house isn't like a destination. It was a stop in her life. And now it's literally helping her move on to something else. But sometimes you just got to go. And the fact that she has people in her life that can help her is really nice and beautiful. And I think that's why. And they're like, very patient with her. It's really th- sweet. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they totally understand her. They know that this is hard for her. They, and they, it's not wrong that the guy leaves either. Like there's sort of when we're in relationships with people like that, it's it's not wrong to some at some point take yourself out of the equation because you can only do so much for people, but they have their own sovereign choices over their own body and mind and goals and things like that. And sometimes you also have to move on with your life. Otherwise you're stuck with them. And I kind of liked that perspective yeah. of the allegory. Yeah. And, and, the, and it, yeah, within the context of the story too, like it's very clear, yeah, that they're not wrong to move on. And yeah, they're yeah, yeah, there yeah. for her when she's ready, but they can't, they're not going to literally drown to death to, to, to yeah. preserve her feelings. Right. Yeah. It's, there's so it's 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 totally earned in its kind of sentimentality where it's not this like very phony saccharine sugary ending like it's it's completely realistic and works with the context of the story that they're telling and it's an appropriate like end moral for a story that's been about all these people who've just perished and been consumed and here she is she's moving it's tough it's not easy and for her it's a very difficult decision and there's no guarantee that even what comes next is good. Who knows? They could just run to a bigger house. That's just equally as evil and cursed. <laughs> three feet away. Who knows? Yeah. That could happen in the story or a giant octopus could kill them or all the bugs come back and just eat them or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, everything's okay because there's, there's, there's hope on the horizon. So yeah, it, it, it this really worked for me. Like, and me also too. like, I kind of understate how good the animation is the whole time. It's so good. It's really beautiful to look at. Yeah. It's horrific when appropriate, but it's just impressive. The, all, all of it, it's just impressive the whole time. And it's, it is a great example of a story that you can, again, like a story that you can really only tell effectively in this medium. I don't think this would have worked as well in live action for various reasons. I even think traditional hand-drawn animation wouldn't have like had the same kind of dreamlike effect that this does. Correct. It's a particular marriage of mood to medium that you just don't get anywhere else. And it's the good of something like Netflix or like Hulu or whatever, where, yeah, I have trouble seeing this get like a theatrical release, but this is the exact type of experimental, interesting thing that I want to see more of in an era where you could theoretically dump anything on anything. Like I'm sure Tubi or Pluto TV, I have plenty of room for your weird experimental art piece that just needs a home and they need content. So uh, how did this make you feel, Melvin? It made me feel good. Actually, it made me feel like uh, if I watched this again in a different circumstance, or maybe just with more life experience, I'd find it way more emotional. 
I like when I cry at movies. I like I when I cry in that. general. I can but like see that. this one, yeah, this one, I ended it. And my first thought was literally, oh, rewatch will make me cry, but not necessarily this one. <laughs> and uh, isn't that the fun of movies, finding new categories for film and, and art in general? But yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. I'm a big proponent of the crying at movies, crying at movies, <laughs> men crying. Um, I'm a big proponent of like sort of how freeing the New Testament is in the way that it talks about our life in Christ uh, and what he offers, which is many things. But this sort of almost like overwhelming sense of uh, exploration and capabilities present in the human life that when you like, I mean, even just the idea that for all the things that are good, there is no law. So it's like, you just, it's almost like saying, do whatever you want when it's not sin. Um, and what that means. And like, this freedom permits an emotional catharsis to overcoming problems in your life. I know I'm using a lot of buzzwords. I mean, I just use overcome, but uh, that means you don't necessarily have to self trap yourself in identities, in personalities, in things like that, in goals. You don't have to live a certain way. You do in the sense that like, don't sin, but like you don't have to live a certain way to be pleasing to the Lord you can do all kinds of things that'll be pleasing to the Lord and worship the Lord and, and things like that. Obviously there's categories in this age that we want to strive for. Uh, I mentioned the great commission earlier. Yeah, that's still active. That doesn't just change. Um, like it's, it's still required that uh, you be able to be ready to have an account for your faith with the goal of evangelizing and proselytizing. But I think it's captured differently than, I have to do this. I must do this. This is all I can do. And when I can't do it, I'm doing things wrong. I can't, I can't have a movie podcast. I need to be out in the streets. People are dying. Daniel, what are we doing? You're even in your church recording. What are you doing? Why aren't you just writing a sermon? Why aren't you? Um, because if we understand how the Lord works and his transforming nature, everything we do is of value um, and worthy to him and can be used by him. Uh, the amount of times I've talked to people who have been, significant in someone else's life to becoming a Christian and knowing the Lord and understanding uh, the gospel. The amount of times that I've heard is also like the amount of times that I've heard it was things they didn't know they were doing that ended up bringing those people to the Lord. Uh, So I, I like how this ends because it encourages that idea of malleability. Maybe, maybe the good things you're doing right now aren't, rational and it's okay because people are on by your side help, wanting to help you get out of that. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons it's so important to have. I was going to first say Christian brothers and sisters to support you. But what I really want to say is different Christian brothers and sisters around you, people who are not like you. Because if if this character just had other, like a coworker who also wants to repair the house, they're going to be thinking the same way. Their goals will be the exact same, like goals. But it was so important that she had people who are totally different, even in activities. The way it seems like she has fun is fixing the house, and the way that her friend has fun is fishing, playing with stones, watching TV. Those are totally different people. 
And so it permits them to see things differently. Now, obviously, in this allegory, it's worldview differences, which isn't also necessarily wrong, because I think uh, I think C.S. Lewis is correct in Mere Christianity to talk about how um, communicating with people who believe different religions, at the very least, you have this core idea of there's something outside of us that's more powerful and worthy of worship. Um, how that's done is going to be very different, but I think that can help tear down the the things in our way that we've built ourselves to get us out of this freaking house that we built and that we're trying to maintain that's of no value or perhaps being built incorrectly. Like it maybe if like she's building the house for tenants and then cosmos comes in and builds it and turns it into a boat and she doesn't even see it. So I don't know. That's what I feel. That's what I feel about it. I, mm. I like, I think it's validating to my own <laughs> philosophy on this idea. Um, you know, right now, I the job I have and the the hobbies I have, they're not who I am. Who I am is ultimately Christ. And that permits me to change. That permits me to have different characteristics. If I was like this for eternity, that's boring. I mean, I would assume it's boring. Uh, but I assume that I'm going to have different chapters and different things going on in my life. I would hope that when I have a child, that my priorities shift and that I... I shift them appropriately and in ways that are helpful. And that I, if there are things that I miss about this lifestyle I'm living right now, I can always wait and do them later. I think that's fine. So that's what it makes me feel. That's what it makes me feel. What about you? Uh, I mean, feel good. I like it. It's hopeful. I think it's, I think it's a good, I, I thought it was a really actually good way to, to illustrate like the way that you're not sort of um, tied down to like hereditary suffering like yeah like at any point yeah, yeah. this can just stop like if if you if you just get up out of your chair and you just leave this whole cycle of horrible depressing misery can just end at any moment you know yeah like do you know people in your life that are kind of like that where it's like there's there are things that can be done to change a situation but they feel so trapped or stuck that they don't get out of it. Like witnessing that is painful. So, I mean, not to get too much into my job, but I see this, I see this a lot. Oh, well, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. our church is located in the inner city and there's a lot of people who are just kind of feel trapped in their life, you know, yeah. their, their parents were one thing and, and all their friends and their siblings are, another, are one thing. And it's tough for them to get out of that because it's their world. It's all they know. And, and right. The reason I'm being vague is this applies to multiple things. Correct. And so there's there's a lot of uh a lot of people trapped in sin and hopelessness and what have you. But at any point, like you may need to use the you know, the bricks people have thrown at you to build the foundation, so on and so forth. But it's possible, you know, you can get up and so you can move on. But uh, I mean, mm-hmm. overall, Melvin, would you recommend the house? Yeah, absolutely. It's not long for having three little short stories. It's well animated. It's fun. It's an interesting exercise and in emotions that might make people feel uncomfortable, but are worthwhile. I always encourage more uncomfortability from Christians. <laughs> so I, uh, I thought I, yeah, totally. And I think this is a healthy way to experience some of those emotions that, um, 
that you will inevitably feel anyway through life. So yeah, absolutely. I recommend it. And I think you already recommended it. You recommended it at the, at the beginning of the episode, right at the head of it. Yeah. And I'm going to recommend it again. I think it's, I think it's a wonderful uh, little film. I think it's well worth a watch. I think if you are all interested, not just in animation, but in surreal storytelling, allegories, parables, horror, uh, if you are just the type of person who likes something that's a little weird and existential and a little different from what you've probably seen, I definitely recommend The House. It's not the most disturbing movie ever made, nor is it the most, sure. like, um, it's not the most thoughtful or existential, but it is it is incredibly unique in and of itself of the package that it is like this combination of elements is a kind of a unique experience. I mean, the closest thing is like, is it's like a mixture of like waking life and Coraline, or it's a mixture of, um, scanner darkly and Coraline. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it really is kind of what, and even it is one of those things that you know, this, this type of movie only comes out every couple once every couple of years. Yeah, and just in terms of like all the different boxes it checks for me, so I quite enjoyed it. I really recommend it. Uh, what do you recommend for your boring, lame Christian recommendation? I'm recommending a little book by Legan Duncan. It's called "Does God Care How We Worship?" It's only let me just double check here, eighty-eight pages. Actually, no, it's shorter than that. It's only seventy-nine pages, and it is a great little book. You get it probably pretty cheap. I might have gotten this by giving like a one of those like free will offerings to to like Legionnaire or something. It's a great little book that really quickly covers the topic of worship, which can be extremely charged, angry, controversial. No everyone drums ye- allowed. Everyone yells at each other. I've heard I've heard arguments for everything. I've heard arguments. You can't for raise your hands above your head during communion. Um, I've heard arguments for exclusive psalmody. I've heard arguments for doing whatever you want on the opposite of the spectrum, or people want to make it a worship a big production, or people want to like just hire a band to come in and play. I've heard people who they only play songs for a certain time period. They only play certain types of artists. Uh, I have a friend who goes to a church where they only use sovereign grace music. And so it's, I've heard everything from every pop possible perspective on this and, and all of that, it just took 79 pages to come to really, to give a good, nice overview of the whole conversation. Uh, Does God care how we worship by Legan Duncan? I'm going to recommend another anthology movie called the signal. Daniel, have you seen the signal? No, but you bring it up uh, pretty regularly. Uh, do I? I mean, I bring yes, it up, I do. guess, but I, I think it's cool. Uh, I think I keep bringing it up because we keep talk- talking about David Bruckner in some fashion or another um, every now and then. But uh, So The Signal is an anthology film where the premise is uh, a signal is played over televisions and one in two people become psychopaths. So that's a lot of people. The first one is the first of the anthology series is definitely the best one. It's directed by David Bruckner himself, I believe. He is known for the ritual. He did the siren skit and skit. <laughs> he did the siren clip and VHS. He did. Um, he's. St- he. I think he also. I don't remember which one he did in Southbound, but he also did that. Oh man, why am I not recommending Southbound? Uh, <laughs> I'll say that for another time. Um, but the signal is pretty good. Southbound's great all around. But we're sticking to Signal. Um, what year did Signal the Signal come out? Two thousand nine, maybe. There's a twenty fourteen movie called The Signal. Yeah, we're not doing that. Okay, thank you for pointing that out. Um, 
The Signal 2014 is with Lawrence Fishburne. We're not doing that one. 2007's The Signal with David Bruckner, Dan Bush, and another director that I don't, I can't see. Uh, Jacob Gentry. This one's the one that I'm talking about. Justin Wellborn, though, is in this, and he's sort of a well-known, seriously independent actor. He's in Dance of the Dead, which is great. Crazies, VHS Viral. He's in one of the only good clips in VHS Viral. Bruckner has a comprehensive understanding of filmmaking, I think, as an independent director. He's able to handle setting well. He's able to, his framing is very good in terms of foreground, background. He always, I, I don't think independent di- films typically have an extras director because that's a lot of money, but he always seems to handle the extras very well. And the signal does that. Uh, so, Definitely watch it. I I think it's really quite good. It's fun, but it also each anthology flick progressively gets a little bit less interesting. Uh, it's it's a good one, and if you're into something more horrific than the house, then I definitely recommend the signal because it is definitely more violent and more <laughs> I don't know terrible. I mean, one in two people go crazy. That's horrible. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, Signal 2007. Thank you, Daniel, for the distinction. I have not seen the other one. Don't watch the other one. What's your fun, happy, great, secular recommendation, Dan? So if you remember <laughs> to maybe an hour ago. Um, you were going to recommend, recommend something. That's right. I, you may remember that I was going to recommend something that the house really reminded me of. And lo and behold, in quickly doing a quick Wikipedia research on the movie, it was mentioned that this actually was a big influence on this movie and so i'm recommending a graphic novel called here have you heard of the graphic novel here melvin i have not no so originally it was a six page comic strip put out in like 1980 i'm gonna look look it up right here 1989 uh by richard mcguire however in 2010 uh, mcguire announced that he was going to put out a full uh, version of it which was eventually released in 2014 now, I came across here because I was on my honeymoon. My wife and I just went to a bunch of different bookstores across several states. And here was a featured book in a random little bookstore I went into. And I was immediately taken by it. Here focuses on a single room in a nonlinear fashion across multiple eras. It goes all the way back to the BC days. It goes to the 1950s. It's, and just focuses on a single space. And you see different tidbits, bits of conversations, different arguments, different things that happen. Sometimes it's just someone cleaning. Sometimes it's someone just sitting. Sometimes it's a whole birthday party. It is an interesting exploration of space and like similar to a ghost story. And here, uh, and sorry, the house, it really explores like the way a single location kind of exists across multiple uh, time periods and places. Also, if you want to be a real hipster, read it now because it's been announced that like Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks want to make a movie ad- adaptation of here. So if you want to read that ahead of time, so whenever that movie comes out, you can be like, oh, I read the book and it was great. This is your opportunity, folks, to get ahead of the curve. Um, here is a really unique, really lovely little book. Um, well, little, but it's 300 pages. It's a quick read because it's comic panels. Some of them don't even have dialogue or anything. It's just a really interesting experience. It's a great one to add to your graphic novel collection. Uh, I have gone back and read it more than once at this point because it's it, it. And by that, I mean sometimes I'll open and just flip through it a little bit because it's just so interesting. So I highly recommend it. It, if, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense because I just talked about how much I love the idea of just a single location or space and how it plays out over a long period of time. And this is kind of the ultimate version of that. So of course I was really taken by it. 
comes out here by Richard McGuire. Richard McGuire, yes. Yeah. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.